Hey, it's Andy. Just wanted to give you guys a heads up that this week's episode is a little bit out of order. It was recorded uh, a few weeks ago, so we're going to be talking about some stuff that's, at this point, very old. Just wanted to give you a heads up as to why <laughs> that would be. Uh, anyways, here's the episode. Bye! <laughs> This is the Rad Mars Podcast, episode 67. I'm Andy Mindler. And I'm Brendan Trombley. I'm Trevor Williams. And I'm Andrew Ford. It's the Olympics! <laughs> it won't be. Happy Olympics. And sadly, we're down to Roushi. He is a casualty of Path of Exile. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> he watched Fast 9 and then, like, played Path of Exile and, yep. But I don't Walked understand in. is why he didn't do both at the same time. Play Path while watching Exactly. You would need to bring a computer to yeah. the movie theater. I can't I believe, believe you guys Roushy. bullshitted about Fast for a whole episode. I just did <laughs> it the other day. <laughs> we were that so was, desperate for topics. It was just like that was a miracle that an entire episode ended up out of that shit. <laughs> I think it's kind of good that I wasn't there because I've never seen any of them. I so, hadn't either. That was how we did it. That was basically all oh, Roushy, wow. right? Or Ford, you saw yeah. it too. Yeah, I saw it. Okay. So this is kind of like if we had done the Mario Brothers movie episode, but only one of us had actually watched it beforehand. And everyone else was just like, what? Fuck? Seriously? And also that one person was very passionate about it and like <laughs> had an encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge about it. I would not have expected that of, of Rashi. That's so, so pretty if incredible. He's so ex- if he's so enthusiastic about it, why did he wait like a couple weeks before he's gone out and seen this? He just he didn't have a chance. And how did yeah, he also, how did we go through like sixty two episodes until doing doing a podcast about it? <laughs> Anyways, he also wasn't yeah, fully thanks. vaccinated until uh, last oh, week. Right. That's oh, right. Okay. Uh, okay. That's a so good yeah, about, reason not to go to a theater. Yeah. About them Olympics, I haven't actually seen like anything. Also, they're going to be over watched by anything the, by the time this episode airs. I haven't. Um, I don't know. I used to be into watching some of the stuff when I was a kid. And then more recently, it's not really been my thing to watch the Olympics. I also don't have very many. Can you watch on the internet? How do you watch? Yep. How does one watch the the, the internet, the, the Olympics in 2021? <laughs> uh, you can do it on Hulu, um, Peacock. You can like sign up for a free account and just like watch it there. Um, I guess the opening ceremonies, um, like everybody walking in was all set to video game music. All different sorts of video game music, like Final Fantasy, hmm. Near, just that's incredible. Just a whole bunch of yeah. great stuff. Good job, Japan. Also, <laughs> during uh, the volleyball game, um, the Japanese team had the high uh theme playing. <laughs> is that the Fucking... sports anime about volleyball? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Fucking just great showing. I guess, like, I guess it's like a. So one thing that like bothers me about the Olympics is that they don't pay, they don't pay the the athletes anything. Athletes, right? The athletes paid. are all they they must be amateurs. They can't be professionals. They, yeah, they get paid with exposure, which is bullshit. <laughs> like the, the Olympic Games are generating so much money off of these people, and yet they're not getting paid like to, you know, live. Like that's. Like to be who, exploited? That's a who bullshit. Gets the, yeah, who gets the money? Who actually? The Olympic it, Committee. Okay, and I guess the television stations. Yeah, like the networks. I I never really thought to... about the business model. Yeah, it's fucking it's fucked. You th- you think the the athletes would? I think the athletes do get something if they win. Maybe I'm I'm not entirely certain about that. Solid, but like gold. a like a piece of gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
it's it's bullshit and that kind of pisses me off and i think it's garbage especially the way that this year has kind of gone they've treated the athletes like terribly and gave them cardboard beds because i don't know i didn't actually hear about that really yeah they're like they need to be like six feet apart and stuff like they don't want people like getting together so they gave them cardboard beds that will collapse under the like if they hold more than like two people's weight but that that's not true. They don't like they were like the athletes were like making videos of themselves testing it and like leaping right. onto the beds and stuff. And they were holding. They're just uncomfortable and it's just stupid. And it's like this is all fucking for show and dumb mm-hmm. and garbage. Yeah, I'm far from an expert on it, but I was under the impression that like you know the Olympic Village and like the weeks leading up to the events are basically just a fuck fest because it's like you know people in their sort of physical prime uh, in close proximity with each other. Yeah. So I guess that's how they counteracted cardboard beds. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, I the, wonder. It's, that, that was kind of a meme. It's a bullshit. It's because they're trying to be okay. more um, green, I guess, making cheap beds. I guess they're not. The intention was not for the sex thing. So <laughs> oh, really? Was just, yeah. It was, just a, it was someone. It was just bullshit. Wait, that's even stupider to me. So they made really uncomfortable bullshit beds to be green. Probably more to cut costs because they're cheap fucks. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that they're cutting costs there when they, you know, went through building all the facilities for giant crowds and then skipped out yeah. on the actual, you know, facilities that are being used by the athletes. It is wild. The Olympics are fucking wild. It the place that hosts uh the Olympics always like takes a bath. Like they lose so much money. They spend shitloads of money to build these huge fucking things that like are never really used again <laughs> and they like the entire like the whole city just loses tons of money like um the last time that they were like uh trying to figure out where to be like most cities that were up for it like the the people living in the cities are actively campaigning to be like do not fucking do this do we do not want this shit here like this is terrible have any like cities that have hosted the Olympics found a good way to sort of like repurpose the like stadiums afterwards, you know, sort of swords or plowshares type thing? There was one, I think there was one recently. It was the one in like LA maybe. Um, I think there was one case like in the past like 20 years where they were actually able to reuse the facilities, but mostly their ones have like gone unused or something. Yeah, they got to do some What did they reuse it for? Uh, I don't know. I, I assume just other sports stuff. I know, like, um, like the Russians, where it like just collapses while it's being used. <laughs> just returns back to the earth after a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, the Winter Olympics in like 1982, maybe, uh, happened in Lake Placid, which is pretty close to where I'm from, and so all the Olympic facilities are still there. It's kind of a tourist attraction, and I think they also still use it for training, like to train in those sports. You know, like where the hell else mm-hmm. are you going to find a downhill skiing ramp in upstate new york right so like yeah you can can use it to produce more world-class athletes to send to the next place that builds a monstrosity of of facilities i just imagine that the maintenance cost of those sorts of facilities have to be prohibitive perhaps Mm. not really sure but yeah i mean i guess if the if the tourist dollars or whatever dollars help it out it does what it does I don't know, man. Just I, it's fucking baffling to me. As someone it's, in New York City, I could never imagine it happening in New York City. Like, where the fuck would you put anything? I it know, would be like right? quote unquote New York City, but it'd probably be in like yeah. Westchester or on it's like Staten Island. They just take they just convert a big dump into the Olympic Village. Yeah. <laughs> what if you just have like the Olympics in the same place every year? You know, like put them in Athens. Boom, problem solved. But then Greece gets the home court advantage. Like, so look how many people yeah. won in Japan. Like, all the bunch of Japanese people won in Japan. Did they really? Yeah, it is pretty crazy. The the skateboarder, like, this is fucking number one guy is Japanese. And I was like, is is it is that like has that been a thing? Like, is Japan number one in skateboarding? <laughs> like, and the women's the women's was also women's gold was also a Japanese woman, right? Really? I think so. Is skateboarding just fucking massive in Japan? I don't think so. Not that I know of. <laughs> Yeah. Here's another hilarious thing that um like it it's been it's been terrible there. Like temperature wise, like it's been like uh mid mid eighties, high eighties, uh with a high like uh humidity. Oh yeah, and, that like, means Japanese actual, summers like, are brutal. 
especially in like yeah, Tokyo so, and, and South. <laughs> there was an article, and they were like, when when they when the places were like pitching for places and how Japan won. One of the things they said was like, you know, during the like estimated time of when this is like what time of the year it would be uh, and where it is, they're like, we think it would be like the perfect temperature for like sports, sporting events and stuff like that. And everyone was like, cool. All right. And then like everyone in Japan knew that was bullshit. And they were like, what did, why did they say that? Like, I, like there were articles written in Japan. They're like, it is, it is terrible in Tokyo. They're like, I have been to like places like Mumbai and other like really like stifling places. They're like, I think Japan, like in Tokyo during that time period is actually worse. They're like, the only place I can imagine having a like worse place to put it is like in the middle of like, like in California in the, in like the desert. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. So they just, like, lied about that. <laughs> We're just like, what? Guess they just desperately wanted to, you know, spend a lot of money building Olympic facilities. I don't know, man. But, like, it's, like, a heat ex- Like, people have been fainting left and right. Like, it's it's no joke. All the athletes are like, it is terrible. This is legitimately awful. <laughs> cool. Yep. And coronavirus also is just fucking it all up. I can't yes. believe they didn't just uh, delay it another year. I don't know. They should have, but I mean, oh well. I mean, how many times do you do that before and you have like two simultaneous Olympics in different locations competing with one another? That 2022 kind of just awesome. becomes the year of all of the Olympics. It'll be a Winter Olympics and yes. Summer Olympics year all at once. It'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I oh, just feel like it's got to be one of those things where it's like too much money and shit went into it and they're just like, can't, can't postpone it anymore. Do fucking capitalism, you know? Yeah, these facilities weren't built to last longer than two years. If we don't <laughs> have it this to... year, we're going to have rubble. <laughs> As we established, they're returning to the Earth very soon. Yeah. The facilities were also built out of cardboard, as it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so uh, we haven't done a, uh, like a science-y episode in a while. You guys want to talk about some science? Let's talk science. Hey, is Bill Nye here? Hey, I'm. I can no, but I can. I can do my best. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have just Brandon, all that Brandon, same kooky Brandon energy. Doesn't doesn't doesn't, uh, doesn't work quite as well. It's two syllables. Brandon, the science guy. Brandon, <laughs> you, Brandon, Brandon. That doesn't work at all. It doesn't even rhyme. You should all start chanting that. <laughs> Brandon, the science n- men. Layman. <laughs> um. There's one science topic that is kind of near and dear to my heart because of how I came to Exist. like know it. And because I, I was, so the, the topic is evolution. And uh, I was, as a kid, a very, very big skeptic of evolution because of a religious upbringing uh, in a particular part of the country that really doesn't believe that evolution happened. And so, I kind of came out. Wait, like, did you grow up like your parents? Like, did, did your parents believe in evolution? That is a great question. I haven't really brought it up. <laughs> um, oh, okay, but uh, I, I mean, I think did, that did the school you go to did they were they was the school like so that that's not real. No, 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 no. It wasn't that. It was it was um or it was a it was a elementary school upbringing in North Carolina. And you don't really learn about evolution in in that like young years, anyways. So I just heard about it, right? Yeah. I only heard like the bad takes that people were having around me. And it wasn't until like middle school and high school in upstate New York that I was actually taught about it like formally. And I, you know, it, 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 like they like chipped away at, at me like over time, like all all the like weird little misconceptions I had and all the like doubts I had about it. <laughs> They're like, you know? here is some logic no. that lines yeah. up, and you're like, hmm. <laughs> I, I had been up correctly. <laughs> To my, to, to my credit, to my own horn, you know, I kept an open mind about it. And I was like, I'll listen to this. I'll listen to it and see if it makes sense. And like, if it makes sense, okay, fine. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah. The, you know. the way they win you over was that they're, they're like, here's, here's how, here's how we get you kid. So I was never that, I was never that, I was never that kid being like, excuse me, sir, this didn't really happen. You know, like I, I never even yeah, yeah. betrayed us. But a you were like, I'm skeptical doubt. until they were like, kid dinosaurs were real and you were like oh shit oh yeah. shit no dinosaurs. i remember 
I remember having a thought in my like, like at like uh, maybe in eighth grade or so, being like, "So if we have like traits that are meant to like help our survival or whatever, then like, what are lips? Like, were there like hum- like lipless humans and lip humans that like the lip humans had an had an advantage that. over the non lip humans? Right? Like, I just like I just thought of, that was the trait that came to my that brain. Was, that was where your mind went. It was. I just I was trying to think of a thing because I didn't understand the whole like gradual process of it. Right? I you know there was no such thing as a non lipped ancestor of ours that was any, any anything close to you know resembling us. There might have been like a some kind of aquatic being that didn't have what you might call lips in our in our lineage but uh i'm pretty sure every primate and mammal leading up to us had lips right so it was a, it was a stupid thing but you know uh i i had i had other things like you know well how does dna know how to change to make the organism better like that seems stupid to me it's not smart it's just molecules sitting around but then you know i learned about like natural selection and those sorts of things um and, and random mm-hmm. mutations and so you know the, the, all the little pieces fell into place like over a long period of time and uh now now i see it now i'm like okay i get it yeah in child brendan's defense like the idea child i was still like 13 or 14 but yeah i still consider that a child but i mean it's still kind of mind-boggling to think about how the level of complexity like you know human beings and whatnot that have evolved from you know basically like slightly reactive organic compounds you know (laughs) millions of years ago hundreds of millions billions of years ago billions of years ago I think. it was billions yeah. it was some kind of suspect sludge yeah <laughs> but i mean it's just it's such a fascinating long drawn out process where it's just sort of like random chance and then the things that are slightly better than the others eke out an advantage over them and propagate and then a little bit more complexity comes into the world well, All powered uh, by a thermonuclear furnace, you know, some distance <laughs> away. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned complexity because that's that, that's getting a little bit more in the um, kind of advanced stages of learning about biology and evolution. But there are a lot of misconceptions around evolution. One of them is that it's like a it's like a it's like a forward march in terms of going from like mm-hmm. not complex to more complex, and that something that's yep. more complex is quote unquote more evolved. That's actually not true at all. I mean single-celled simple organisms still exist today and mm-hmm. they still exist today because they're they're very successful they can still like yeah. propagate and and do their thing and they don't need to be more evolved quote unquote they need to be more uh, 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 complex to sort of continue to do so and that's that's the craziest thing about right. evolution it's just so how gloriously neutral it is to the point yeah. where it's like it's almost hard to even um it's so easy to like attribute i don't know intention to evolution when it's just not at all Right. I mean, basically what evolution amounts to is, do you have offspring that survive long enough to have offspring of their own? If so, A plus, you succeeded. And that's the reason why some species like rabbits are very successful. They're not very good at, you know, like defending themselves or whatnot, but they produce a whole lot of offspring and they do it real quickly and boom. Mice, rats, same sort of strategy. Although they're pretty complicated organisms, like any sort of like mammals in general, like that's probably like one of the worst examples I could come up with. Um, I think the single cell example is much better. It's like, it's all about the ability to propagate. Yeah. And it's like, it's not even like, I don't know, you say like A plus or whatever. And it's like, not evolution doesn't even give a shit. Like there's yeah. this thing as an A plus in evolution. That's one of the things that like, so here's, cause you know, I've been, I've been dancing around this idea uh, of, you know, like religion versus evolution or whatever. And it's kind of like a, in my opinion, a fake tension there. Like it doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be a tension, but like I have a feeling that but a lot of people, is. I know, I know. I have a feeling though that a lot of people want to attribute the same kind of meaning to science that they do to religion and that they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I've definitely heard people say, um, rationalize really shitty behavior like because of evolution. And that happened in a very like, you know, racist eugenics way, like a long time ago, but it also happens in more modern times when people are like, well, you know, just like the strong survive and the strong win and I'll take what I want because evolution deems it so. And it's like, that's, or, or it's like, uh, you can't do that because that decreases your chances of reproducing and therefore you shouldn't do it because it's wrong on the evolutionary standpoint. And it's like, no, fuck off. 
evolution doesn't give a shit. Like if I don't reproduce, I don't reproduce and that's the end of it. And, and, and so whatever I did or whatever I am doesn't make it into the future, but that doesn't mean good or bad in the present. Does that make sense? Man, I've got a chip in my shoulder. Turns out this. that evolution and ethics what are just two happens? separate also, things. <laughs> also, in terms of time scale, like putting ethics like into like the uh, evolutionary like this is imperative is fucking insane because it's like your actions here and like you like actually procreating probably have absolutely no effect on where evolution is going to go. Right, because it's going to take thousands millions of years for any change to happen you are so insignificant fuck off <laughs> I, I do wonder whether Thanks, or not Sandy. that's the sort of I feel thing. better now right. <laughs> I do wonder if that's the sort of drive that like I've heard several instances of like fertility doctors that like instead of taking like you know donor sperm cells basically just take their own sperm and put it in all of the sort of like women that you know they're supposedly helping out oh what the fuck Okay, so you've never heard about this before. No. This is something that's happened There's multiple times. There's been multiple TV shows based around this concept. Yeah. Maybe, okay. Like, to be clear, dramatic not, TV shows. Right. It has happened in the real world at yeah. least once. I don't know if it's happened multiple times, but I suspect it has. And it's pretty fucked up. And I'm wondering whether or not the people that are doing it are doing the sort of rationalization you're talking about where they blur together... Uh, evolution and ethics and say like my evolutionary imperative is to have as many children as possible best way to do that is to clearly become a fertility doctor and put my spunk at as many women as i can boom problem solved oh trevor please never say a sentence like that ever again (laughs) (laughs) feel free to edit it however you want in (laughs) post-production we're just gonna edit it to be like i am trevor I'm going to put my spunk in every woman possible. <laughs> I'd, I'd appreciate it if you don't edit it in that particular way. <laughs> but suffice it to say, that's clearly, from an ethical standpoint, pretty fucking reprehensible. And from an evolutionary standpoint, okay, if that's actually a strategy that your children can then go on to become doctors that then also start their own fertility clinics and do the exact same thing. You know, newsflash, that's not actually going to happen. And so the entire idea of this being some sort of evolutionary platform falls apart. Yeah. And this is like, this is where it gets to me, like, um, and maybe Trevor, you know more about this, but I feel like a lot of people are doing, do this on even like a smaller scale of um, like trying to justify certain behaviors and like uh, with, through the lens of like behavioral evolutionary behavior, whatever the evolutionary psychology or whatever those terms are. And like how much of it is actually truly proven science, you know, like how, how, how much of it is just like wild theorizing versus like, you know, humans or animals do this thing because it was evolutionarily successful. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the yeah. alpha, alpha males and beta males theory, you know, like that kind of bull, bull crap. Wait, wait, wait. Fun thing about the alpha male, beta male thing. Hmm. That shit is wrong top to bottom. So the guy who, the guy who like wrote that original theory about that or whatever, so he wrote that and then immediately was like, oh, no, this is all wrong. He has spent his entire life trying to be like, no, that was wrong. Do not listen to it. Wolves do not live like that. It is just top to bottom oh, with bullshit. Yeah. And so he's been like his entire life has been like trying to undo that like uh, like theory, essentially, because so- he it was immediately like just wrong. What Don't I think is large fascinating apes here still have alpha males though, like gorillas. Don't gorillas still have alpha males? Well, he did it. He the whole thing that he based it off of was wolves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and wolves don't live like that. So Do what gorillas? I find maybe, but I doubt it. Like I highly doubt that his the way the the way that we understand it and like talk about it and like the general public, I'm pretty sure is just total bullshit essentially. So what I find interesting here is that you're seeing a sort of evolution of a different sort, which is sort of like the evolution of ideas and sort of like the public consciousness. Memes? Memetics. Yeah, yeah. memes, things like that. Because basically what was presented here was a compelling theory in terms of explaining behavior by, you know, coming up with these simple categories of alpha, beta, whatnot. It's a, you know, easily graspable theory, easy to communicate. And so it spreads like wildfire even if the you know person who originated the theory realized, oops, my bad, this actually is wrong. 
And the idea spreads around a lot, not because it's correct or not because it's sort of, you know, has any value itself, but because it's capable of spreading. It's the same yep. thing with evolution. It's not that it's good or bad. It's that if it can spread, it will spread. And there's going to be, just because of random chance, all sorts of different things trying different strategies for spreading. It's like a virus. Yeah, basically. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's exactly the same with virus viruses and evolution there. The one, one really cool thing about that is, you know, uh, you, you guys might know about, one, well, one of the cool things about evolution in general is that it, it kind of encapsulates so much biology in one like umbrella, right? So one of them is of course like ecology and, um, you know, e e evolution is one really cool way to invent a new niche in an, you know, in, in, in an ecosystem. So like, I think we talked about this a long time ago, but you know, you, you have like spaces that, you know, a niche is like a space that an organism kind of exists in both like physically, but also in like what they eat, where they get their energy from. Um, and so, sometimes an organism will accidentally you know evolve or invent a way that accesses a whole new set of resources that no other organism has done so before so that happened um many many years ago uh million millions of years ago during the carboniferous era <laughs> many years ago many millions. years ago so, uh, like at least between five years ago. and six million <laughs> <laughs> between five years and six million years um, yeah yeah uh there was a time when uh, I think I've, I've said this before, but there's a time when trees evolved. They they had created this new substance called lignin, which is basically what wood is made out of, and it was permanent. There was no yet way for organ other organisms like bacteria and fungus to break down the lignin and, and, and decompose it. So wood was an undecomposable substance for a very long period of time. And uh, wood just- Permawood. Yeah, it was permawood. A tree would grow and die and fall over and the wood would just sit there and never ever rot. Um, that wood actually ended up becoming like a lot of our fossil fuels and stuff because it just built up and then got buried and then compressed and whatever. And I think most of our coal is, is that is that wood from how that period? How did other trees grow with other wood on top of it? Like how did like light get to it? Like wouldn't it be like, ah, oh, fuck, there's trees on top of me. I mean, yeah, I'm guessing it's a similar, similar competition that happens in forests today, right? Like if the land is already covered in forest, then you probably don't get a lot of new trees until they fall over and die. I don't know, storm storm comes along. But then the, yeah. the tree's on the ground, well, and then it's covering the ground. So I'd imagine that there's probably evolutionary pressure there. And also you're talking about there being sort of like an ecological factor here. It could be the case where like you start off with small trees, they fall down, make a layer of wood, and then the only ones that can compete are trees that grow larger and sort of like grow out of wood itself. Although I don't know, you know how that would work. But I'd imagine that it was probably like layers and layers and layers of like trees growing on top of trees growing on top of trees. I, I, you're still thinking about, you still have to think in terms of geologic timescales too. So I'm assuming that like erosion, weathering, other things would displace the, you know, like, like yeah. other stuff would happen, right? Oh, it wouldn't just, it wouldn't yeah, just sit right. in place. Okay. The wood is now essentially rocks as far as the world's concerned. So I'm assuming mm -hmm. the same similar That's things That's really to weird. It. My brain hurts to like think about the fact that like a tree could fall over and like weather- ne Never go like, away water and shit could hit it and like nothing bad happens to it because yep. really yep. when water and shit gets in the wood it's not the water that's fucking it up yeah right nope it's or just it's a organisms. delicious delicious thing to help those organisms oh that's yeah. so fucking weird so right so of water to eat with your wood <laughs> so the crazy thing is that that wood has shit tons of stored energy in it right like when you burn wood and it makes a fire that's all that energy inside of that wood being released um, when it's not burning, that energy is stored in the wood. So one day, some little bacteria or fungus or whatever accidentally like figures out some chemical pathway that allows it to break down that lignin and, and get some of that energy out. And except it's not shit. figuring it out; it's randomly sort of like yes, stumbling upon it. <laughs> it's DNA randomly assembled itself in a different way, and it, yeah. it got a chemical pathway. That it's like, look it at Ron. Ron's stupid. You look stupid, Ron. You're different than the rest of us. And he's like, oh. But I can eat a tree, motherfucker. And then Ron has all the babies. Yeah. So <laughs> all his friends who made fun of him die off and go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> or or they just remain in their niche and he has this new niche and he just like mm -hmm. see you later. But right, so now suddenly there's this huge energy source and, and, and these these organisms can essentially flourish and, and spread like wildfire. Uh, no no pun intended, right? Because they have now discovered a new niche. Um, yeah. there are microorganisms that are doing the same thing with plastic today, which is kind of insanity. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also yeah. heard of organisms also... that can do it with rocks, like in caves. Mm -hmm. Also around Chernobyl, 
you know, the organisms that have evolved to tolerate radiation are able to thrive in a niche that is otherwise hostile to any other organism in the area. We might have to take a take a a, a leaf out of their book and figure out how to become more radiation uh, resistant to like be a spacefaring species in the future. Hmm. Radiation's a bitch. But on the other hand, radiation is also partially responsible for evolution because you need to have those sort of sources of randomness in order to fuck up DNA and cause things to change. Like I I liked an analogy sort of just talking about the mechanism of evolution that a high school um, biology teacher of mine gave uh, Mr. Connor uh, back from Cranbrook Kingswood. Um, and he basically said that evolution was akin, you know, to like, okay, a cosmic ray hits a DNA structure. It's similar to if you were to, you know, open up your car's trunk one day, grab a sledgehammer and take a swing into it. Most likely you're going (laughs) to fuck something up. You're going to fuck something up bad, but there's a tiny chance that maybe you'll hit like, you know, the air intake in just the right way. That's going to cause a little sort of like vortex of air to form, which is going to make it more efficient or whatnot. And like, you know, on the whole, most of the time you're going to end up with a broken car. But if you happen, if you're like, you know, have millions of cars and millions of sledgehammers swinging at it, sometimes you're going to get that little vortex. And then that car is more windshield that makes it more aerodynamic. And then that travels through it. And then that car is going to have more car babies. Exactly. That was a joke I thought to make. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Um, plot of the movie Cars. I, was just gonna say, I feel like there's a Cars the Movie joke somewhere, but I feel like it would just get weird. Um, the w- one thing I, I uh, is another thing I sort of recently learned. Um, remember when I did a Hey Check This Out on a YouTube video called Evo Devo? It was a like a musical parody of Despacito about um, evolutionary biology uh, or evolutionary development, sure. I guess is what you, anyways, um, I remember, whole, I remember every episode, man. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> um, that video goes, uh, pretty in depth very quickly, uh, as to some of the mechanisms for how like genes express themselves into like how an organism shapes its body. Right. Cause that's like blue genes. Uh, yeah, sure. So the, <laughs> the bell bottom blue genes give yeah. them bigger calves. Genes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so one of the big things about it is that genes don't just control, uh, physical features or the proteins that cause those physical features to happen. There are also genes that regulate other genes. Um, they can turn them on or off. They can swap the order of their expression. There's like a whole like modular system there. And in a lot of cases, they're starting to find out, um, evolution might be happening a lot more on the controlling genes rather than the like kind of terminal genes or whatever you want to call the end state gene right so like uh that kind of makes sense because if you attack the gene itself and you like change like a protein it's very likely going to break the protein as opposed to make it do something better but if you change where and when and why the protein happens then it's just it's just kind of like taking a, a an already working thing and just changing its application and uh i just remember the the visual that the video used was like uh, if you just swap the order of like a couple genes and butterfly wings, you get like a whole different pattern in the butterfly wing, right? So like 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 the spots, right? The spots might get much bigger or smaller or like more um, multiples of them versus like a single one, right? And that could be like a couple different controlling genes controlling like a smaller amount of genes uh, that that make spots on wings, that kind of thing. And I thought that was very neat. And on top, yeah, and on top of that, like in terms of well two things. Uh, First off, like a lot of things are just in terms of cell development, you know, going from like a single fertilized egg in a human to like a multicellular organism. Like there's a lot of sort of changing conditions and basically like certain genes only turn on when like a certain like uh, condition is established in those cells. It's sort of like how you end up with differentiation and some cells turn into, you know, bones, uh, bone marrow and others turn into a liver, for example. And all of that's based on this sort of like, you know, genes sort of checking in other genes and sort of depending on surrounding environmental conditions and whatnot and doing radically different things depending on that. And so you can imagine like a slight change to that having pretty dramatic consequences. But the other thing I was thinking about while you're talking about that, Brendan, is like, um, I assume you're familiar. Well, have, are you, I never know how to like say things like um, non-encoding genes or non-encoding DNA. Are you familiar with that? Um. I know about a type of DNA that like, it just like spaces out other genes 
but it's yeah. usually isn't it just much like T A T A T A T A T A, like it's just like a repeating uh, I, pattern. I don't think it's that. I think that uh, you're talking about there might be telomeres. Um, it's sort of like the end of the hmm. chromosomes that sort of get shortened every time the cell divides, um, yeah, and is thing. both potentially responsible for aging and also a sort of anti-cancer mechanism. Mm-hmm. The thing I'm talking about more is what's known as junk DNA colloquially. Um, it's basically just like a series of like random nucleotide orders. Um, I don't think it's like just two back and forth, but they're basically just like trash that don't seem to encode for anything. And oh, actually, that's what I'm made of. Yeah. Well, most <laughs> of us are. are, in fact. Yeah. And just in fact, trash DNA. Right. Most <laughs> DNA. Bottom. Right. Most of our DNA actually, I think, is junk DNA, quote unquote, um, like mm. or non-encoding DNA. It doesn't seem to be, you know, part of any sort of um, uh, any particular gene or whatnot. Um, and, you know, there's questions as to, you know, how this came about and why it stuck around, because like any DNA that you have is DNA that needs to be copied when you reproduce. And, you know, that has an associated cost in terms of energy and, you know, nutrients and whatnot. And so if you could get rid of all that junk DNA, you know, you're going to be a little bit more successful and you'd be able to compete better. But the fact that there's so much junk DNA and that it sticks around suggests that maybe it does have potentially some value. And there's also the question of where it comes from. Um, and I think that this also goes back to God. Sure, why not? It's the um, Da Vinci and it, Code. And it, and it came from God because God invented uh, retroviruses. Tom Hanks is on it. Um, and um, I guess it's worth mentioning briefly what retroviruses are, their sort of course of action. Like a lot of viruses, like the coronavirus, um, basically just injects, I think it's just like regular DNA or whatnot um, into cells. And then they produce some proteins that include, you know, more of that particular thing and whatnot. And then eventually, you know, like the immune system comes around and says, hey, you don't belong here, die. And then it, you know, eats the DNA and all the other corresponding things. But retroviruses like HIV um, act differently in that they inject, I don't know if it's RNA or um, something else, but what they do is they actually sort of like go into the nucleus and insert their genetic code into the cell itself. So like then forevermore, that cell and all cells that descend from it have the genes for creating more of that virus. And so typically those cells will continue going around doing their thing that they were doing before and also producing viruses on the side as well. Um, And then like those viruses, right. And like you can't cure it at that point because it's sort of like part of those cells. You can kill all of those cells, but you know, how are you going to target them? Immune system don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. People who don't know how to do it. Um, And so typically what happens is like you reach an equilibrium in these organisms where like, okay, you've got antibodies for like the, you know, uh, virus that they're producing. So like, you know, sure, it's producing a viral load, but then you're immediately sort of attacking it and sort of like subduing it, but it's still being produced. But the thing is, you could have like one of these retroviruses attack one of the germ cells, you know, used in reproduction. And then all of a sudden, boom, now you've added some DNA that's going to be inherited by your offspring, because otherwise, if it's like some random lung cell or whatnot, that's not going to affect things. And so it's thought that that's a mechanism by which some of this, you know, junk DNA is being added to, uh, you know, people, because then if, you know, radiation breaks that particular gene, organism don't care. In fact, organism's probably happier because now it's no longer producing that particular virus that it had to spend immune system resources doing. And so like, I think that Well, my impression is that some portion of evolution is from this ongoing warfare of viruses versus, you know, everything else, inserting random DNA that does random things and sometimes getting trashed in the process. So sometimes the viruses might do something good, like they might change your genetics into something be be beneficial somehow. Turn you into Batman. Well, turn you into Batman. Yeah, bat wings. So I'm going going into purely speculative mode here, and I've been sort of in half speculative mode for some of this. but like, okay, I'm talking about a mechanism by which junk DNA can be added um, or DNA that, um, you know, like encodes for something you don't necessarily want. But you could imagine like, okay, you've got tons of junk DNA there and then a cosmic ray comes around and, you know, flips a, one of those particular nucleotides into something that, you know, activates and then produces a new protein. Maybe that protein's useful. Um, Two penises. 
sure, why not? Um, so, but the point being, like, you can have all this junk DNA means that you've got all of this sort of like random things that can sort of like mishmash and sort of you know mix itself around and then not turn on and then boom, a switch is flipped and then that thing suddenly starts producing a protein, and most likely that protein ain't gonna do shit, but maybe that protein's gonna help you and then boom, help your offspring and so on and so forth. Yeah, one um, thing you were talking about before about junk DNA is the kind of idea of it being kind of inefficient and maybe the idea that if you had less of it, you could, you know, transcribe the DNA faster and maybe that gives you some advantage. But I think it's worth remembering we kind of talked about before is like evolution doesn't really care about efficiency so much as it just cares about if you stay alive enough to reproduce, right? right? So there's lots yeah. of things that are like really inefficient in your body that are just like, it works, it's good enough, and it makes you alive yep. for a while. One actually really interesting uh, analogy or like interesting instance of that is actually hemoglobin. So hemoglobin is the molecule in your blood that carries oxygen, right? So there's probably some crazy long evolutionary process to actually get to that. And there's actually different kinds of molecules in different organisms. Like uh, I think crabs and stuff have like blue hemocyanin instead of hemoglobin, which is kind of cool. And yeah, it uses copper instead of iron as the kind of metal that grabs the oxygen. Yeah. Ooh. And so, but I think to point out is like hemoglobin is a really, really big complex molecule. It takes up some huge percentage of your blood by weight, like 90 something percent. The one molecule of hemoglobin, which is like a really big complex series of proteins, whatever, can carry four oxygen molecules. <laughs> That's not exactly the most efficient thing in the world. <laughs> There's actually a really interesting thing where like in, you know, in a, an ambulance or in the hospital or whatever, um, there's like you need to go through so much blood. Like if you're losing blood, you have to oh, transfuse yeah. so much blood. Like this is why you should donate blood. Cause it's like people that are losing blood need a shitload of it because you know, blood doesn't actually carry that much oxygen. Cause you know, people go, it's really inefficient. And if, if mm -hmm. we could invent some molecule that could carry oxygen better, that'd be amazing for the medical mm -hmm. whole field because you could save people's lives just because our hemoglobin is like wildly yeah. inefficient. We, but then but, we, would but more important process that as well. More importantly, we'd become superheroes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like super blood. Well, I mean, we really, all have super blood. like having efficient so, blood would that really make us superheroes? So, a couple points about hemoglobin. First off, like I think it's fascinating that it's not just that like the hemoglobin has to hold on to oxygen, but it also needs to let go of it at the right time. And so, I figure that part of the reason why it's such a freaking complicated molecule is because it needs to have just the right activation energy so that it can actually pick up oxygen in your lungs and then drop it off in the tissues that are oxygen starved. Um, but the follow-up to that is, are you familiar with fetal hemoglobin? I think that's the right term. So uh, when a mother is carrying a baby, uh, the baby in fact uses a different sort of hemoglobin which has a higher affinity for oxygen. Um, and it needs that because like the baby is basically pulling oxygen out of the mother's bloodstream and needs to do it at sort of like a higher rate because it's, you know, has an even more active metabolism than the mother. And so it uses a different form of hemoglobin that has a much higher sort of like level of attraction and, you know, to the oxygen itself. So it's like we have two variants of this super complicated molecule um, just for the purposes of reproduction. I like to think of it as hemoglobin. Yeah. And then what do you picture in your blood? A little goblin that steals oxygen. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Just run. He's like swimming through like a river. He's like, I got the guy. I got the oxygen. I got the oxygen. <laughs> you know, he can okay. carry because he's got two under each arm. That's that's the four. Mm. That's okay. Right. And is this guy named uh, Hemogobbler? No, Hemogoblin. Hemogoblin. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. That, that's my contribution to science. <laughs> we appreciate the goblin it. theory of evolution. <laughs> the goblin theory. <coughs> God damn it, I was drinking water. Science is dead. God reigns, and we're all religious now. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I'm against vaccination. <laughs> <laughs> The Radvars podcast is not against vaccination. Just clearing that up. Disclaimer, please. I can edit this however I want. <laughs> I mean, I could go on and on, but do you guys want to rather 
take a break or pivot to quantum mechanics we could yeah, let's talk about <laughs> quantum mechanics so i think that time is just different and that we all exist <laughs> in our own thread of fate and we exist in the one that we survive in and everyone else gets to exist in the one that they survive in and then like when some when you die you actually like steer off because you're in a different thread and you're like no i actually survived that and your friend is like oh my god john died but you didn't die mm -hmm. at least not to you yeah so that's, trying to... that's that's how i think time works so just despite andy's presentation here there's, there's actually a sort of uh uh somewhat seriously taken uh well I can't say it's somewhat seriously taken in science because it's more of a sort of like philosophical hypothesis of a consequence of quantum mechanics, but it's, uh, the, it's called quantum immortality. And it's the idea that um, it's a spinoff of the many worlds hypothesis of quantum mechanics. Um, so specifically, just to give a little bit of additional context to sort of tie this to the science, um, one of the basic principles of quantum mechanics is that you have these quantum mechanical states that systems enter into. And those states aren't, you know, sort of like, you know, you don't know if it's in one state or if it's in another state. That system's actually in both of those states simultaneously. Um, and the only way to force it to be in one state or the other is to measure it. What is measurement? Uh, that's another sort of philosophical conversation. But uh, for the most part, like, we can simplify by saying it's interaction with a macro um, uh, atomic system, you know, sort of like bulk matter more than just like individual atoms that are, might be quantumly entangled or whatnot. But the idea being that like the entire world is just a bunch of quantum mechanical systems interacting with each other in, you know, indeterminate states. And so the many worlds hypothesis is that whenever a measurement is taken in the universe, the universe splits in two and one universe goes on in which the measurement read one way and the other universe goes in the direction where it went the other way. And so all things are possible. And hence, you know, the many worlds, or like many worlds hypothesis goes on to the uh, quantum immortality hypothesis saying that, yeah, and, you know, you're a conscious being and, you know, your observation and your ability to observe the world is paramount and must be preserved at all costs. And therefore, uh, all of those, you know, branching realities happen such that you will stay alive in your own individual reality, regardless of what decisions you make and what happens to you does that sound like you a reason throw yourself off buildings you're like i'm quantum invincible that's what the that's what the theory says um you can become a quantum I mean, vegetable like, stay alive yeah. right also I, I i would also say that theory here um is not probably the right term because like there's one real fundamental problem with this from a sort of science perspective which is that this is not a testable hypothesis the entire premise of quantum immortality is that, okay, maybe it's true. You know how you could test it? You could get a revolver, load five of the chambers with bullets, and play Russian roulette for a hundred times. And if you're still alive at the end of it, there's a pretty high chance that, you know, quantum immortality is, you know, correct. However, from the perspective of everyone else, including your loved ones and friends and whatnot, you probably died pretty quickly. <laughs> um and so this is more like a philosophical idea rather than yeah. like i think a science-based one like it's yeah. kind of it it makes me think of like the the evil demon theory you know uh where like we are just like brains floating in a jar that an evil demon is just projecting reality onto yep and i mean like yeah, it's just kind of like a like a mind like experiment. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You can't you can't really take that theory of like quantum immortality and like really do much with it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, like Brendan was saying also, it could be like, you know, quantum immortality as a vegetable, like just barely conscious enough to be like, okay, uh because honestly, if quantum immortality is true, it's gonna be hell for everyone. Because eventually you're going to be this incredibly old aged husk that somehow manages to stay alive, regardless of any and all circumstances. I'm hoping that my timeline quality of life. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that in my timeline that that the scientists invent like eternal youth serum, and that's why I'm immortal, not because I'm a, not because of some monkey paw nightmare situation. 
yeah. <laughs> Cross, I'm crossing right. my fingers. But yeah, I mean, that, like you're saying, it's more of a discussion of philosophy and sort of, you know, really abstract stuff. I mean, you know where I first like learned entire... a lot. You know where I yeah. first learned about a lot of these ideas? It's a fucking Dilbert book. Because like at the back no, of one of the Dilbert what? books, yeah, he uh, Scott Adams, I believe, is the guy who wrote it. Right, wrote Dilbert, yeah. and um, he one of the books that he has is like comics, but also a bunch of like commentary uh, about like life and society and whatever. So it's like like Dilbert comics and like text, but like he gets like very much into this whole like um, quantum, you know, quantum multi multi universe theory stuff uh, to the point where I, I think he 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 believed in the ability to choose which pathway in the quantum like splittings that uh that that are possible in 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 a technique called affirmations where you like write down the thing the outcome that you want a bunch of times on a piece of paper uh. yeah and and that somehow causes <laughs> your conscious that's causes your consciousness to ride the the multi-universe like train in the splitting <laughs> pathways that you want or something something as that a side note real. this is another good example of Bad ideas catching on and going on as survival of the fittest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I learned about this from watching episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation as a kid. It's probably a smarter source. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not to not to give, bring it back to some real science, but you just reminded me of a thing because this is about evolution too, but you said you, you started talking about theory and... Um, mm -hmm. The, the idea of a scientific theory is so incredibly different from the idea of like the word English, the like the word theory in English. Oh, that yeah. It's worth it's worth bringing up because one of the arguments yes. against evolution is, well, it's just a theory. It's not proven. It's like, no, you don't understand the tech scientific term theory versus the English word, the English definition of the world. So it, it, in. in in normal English, a theory, yeah, it's like an, an unproven thing, and and you like think, oh, I have a theory that it could be. Right. It's like a, it's like a Sherlock Holmes, like right? an idea, like, almost an, an idea, or and in, in, in science terms, it's actually more like a hypothesis. But uh, in science, theory actually means a whole body of 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 evidence pointing to one particular explanation for all that evidence, and. Um, Theories can be stronger or weaker than others, but evolution is not one of them. Evolution has tons and tons of evidence pointing to this like working explanation that is evolution, that 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 accounts for all of the evidence that is available, including uh, the fossil record, including the similarities of our DNA versus other DNA, um, you know, the, of, of other organisms, and you know the fact that we've watched it happen in organisms like in real time before and like all these other different things right um that's what a theory is in science it's not just like a wishy-washy mm -hmm. idea it's actually very very well supported so i just wanted to like make sure we covered that little bit before uh <laughs> we went anywhere there, else yeah there's actually one other thing i'd like to say about science in general like science yeah. Science fucking sucks. Go to hell. Hey, we know we know from Bill that <laughs> science like your rules. Opinion, man. Okay, that's yeah, true. You're right. I'm you mean sorry. me? So, I, I apologize. <laughs> so yes. what I was going to say is that science in uh, you know education and whatnot is basically taught as this series of facts and an understanding of the universe around us. Basically, it's like a set of rules that the universe behaves, like you know biology, chemistry, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, that isn't really science. Science isn't sort of like a pre-established doctrine that everyone obeys and sort of follows because it's right. Science is a discipline of iteratively trying to come to a better understanding of the world around you and acknowledging that the understanding of the world that we have is imperfect. And that's not to say that a theory is right or wrong, because that's sort of like really, you know, not a helpful way of thinking about it. But take the example of Newt Newton's theory of universal gravitation. Um, that is a theory that very accurately describes the world and explains a whole lot of things like planetary motion and whatnot. However, it is not a 100% accurate uh, demonstration or explanation of the world around us. It couldn't handle, for example, the precession of Mercury. That, on the other hand, required general relativity, which is a better, more accurate model. Uh, let me let me not say better, let me say a more accurate model of the physical uh, universe that we inhabit. However, 
it is, I would say, a worse model for you know day-to-day -day understanding of things that are going on because it's a hell of a lot more complicated and harder to interact with. But that's the nature of models. You take models in order to basically understand the world around you and make decisions based on those models. And depending on the nature of the choice that you need to make and the level of understanding you need to have of the world around you, you may adopt a more sophisticated model for that. So if you need to travel some distance, like you can assume that you're landing on a flat surface. If you're flying on a plane uh, from one end of the world to the other, okay, now you have to actually take into account the fact that you're on a sphere instead of a flat surface. Um, and so basically like science isn't sort of like a set of fixed facts. It's basically a willingness to sort of like challenge understanding and reevaluate your understanding of things in the face of new evidence and new experiments. Kind of like what uh, Brendan was saying originally, where he came into this with an unparticular understanding of evolution and then presented with new facts, reevaluated it, came to a new decision. That is science. This yeah. is a great jumping off point where I think it's about time I pitch you guys on this new theory that I have uh, called Flat Earth Theory. I think you all <laughs> would be very interested in it. Do tell, do tell so, me more about your evidence to support this theory. Well, if you stand really tall, like you can't see things. I don't, I don't fucking know. That doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. I can't even. I mean, that is sort of relevant to uh, something I've been thinking about. This is kind of like a whole other topic even, but it's almost Are a you little. you about hollow earth theory? No, but it does have something to do with the goblins. So we're going to have to come back to the goblins. Ooh. Oh, good. Um, but what I was actually going to say, it's kind of related to this idea that it's it's kind of weird and almost kind of unfortunate that science nowadays, like you need to have a PhD, right, to do any real work in science, right? Because we're, we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants in like every scientific field at this point. Everything is built upon this, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of prior research and, and prior theories and stuff to the point where stuff like quantum mechanics, the state of the art, is just not understandable by a layman at all. People don't really get it. You get this weird quantum woo-woo bullshit, people talking about consciousness and quantum stuff. Like people just don't get it. Um, and it's just kind of unfortunate that we've kind of progressed to this point where the, the actual way the world works at a very low level is just so far removed from our day-to-day -day experience that it's just basically impossible to understand in an intuitive way. This is why we support science education for the children's. I mean, the cool thing is that a kid these days, think, think about how much they know about the world compared to like a kid a hundred years ago knows about the world or a hundred years before that kind of insane, actually. I mean, the infuriating thing is the knowledge and ability for them to better understanding, understand the world is out there. But we're also at a point where as a society, we're kind of intellectually regressing into our own little, you know, you know, holes of our own self-imposed ignorance because it makes us more comfortable. And we're also witnessing like, you know, how these, you know, actually sort of actively detrimental ideas like anti-vaccination uh, can sort of like take hold and, you know, exist uh it's an evolutionarily fit idea a meme or whatever you want to call it i think there's always I like, don't want to fluctuations end on <laughs> no there's always fluctuations um and i think that we have a lot more ability to see those things happening than we used to but like mm -hmm. again like not not that long ago like people believed like literal witches existed and burned them at the stake right like there's been a lot of progress even if we're making some if, even if we backslide a little bit here and there the cool sure. thing about science though like it, it's right. It'll, it'll turn out to be right. Even if people are wrong, like have the wrong idea about it, they will act mm -hmm. on the wrong information and the wrong outcome will come out of it. And it sort of self-corrects not, not as quickly as I would like to see it happening, but I think generally the trajectory will of it is self-correcting. That's hopefully the hopeful, that. the hopeful note to end on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I was, I, I was in the middle of saying that and I'm like, Oh God, don't let this be the note that we end on. <laughs> Great. The we solved note. science. Let's take a break. <laughs> yeah. Science! Welcome back. Do you guys want to do... Hey, check this out.
yeah. Great. I, I can even get us started. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. I'm going to recommend a six-year-old YouTube video. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Things stick around that long, and sometimes they're even relevant. Um, uh, it's Shia LaBeouf Live uh, by Rob Cantor. If you do a YouTube search for Shia LaBeouf, it is the first result. And it what is the a, fuck, really? Yes, it is, um, with 74 million views. Um, and it is a choreographed production with pretty significant production values of a really sort of ridiculous song about Shia LaBeouf being an actual cannibal and living in the woods. Um, I highly recommend it if you're in the mood for some absurdist humor. Wow. Um, with also people dancing around wearing giant paper mache heads that resemble Shia LaBeouf. Very strange. It's a great video. I've seen it too. I can second that one. Great. Um, I can go next. Um, so I was in Long Island this past weekend. We went to a coffee shop, which I can also just recommend the coffee shop. It's in East Rockaway. It's called Heavenly Coffee. But my actual check this out is a coffee flavor, which I hadn't really tried before, but in retrospect makes so much sense. Uh, it's called decaf? <laughs> it's called don't drink coffee, you over-caffeinated fucks. <laughs> um, no, it's a pistachio flavored. Like, you know, you can get like, flavored? yeah, you can get like French vanilla or hazelnut or whatever. Yeah. But pistachio coffee is actually the bomb. And if you can find a place to try it, uh, do it. And if you can't, go to East Rockaway and go to Heavenly Coffee and try it there. It's iced there, but uh, it's probably good hot too. You know what's amazing? I haven't heard someone say, it's the bomb in forever. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a phrase that evolution has not been kind to. <laughs> Dead me. <laughs> is that a 90s thing or a 2000s thing Fuck, I, I don't even know i feel like as soon as terrorism started popping up all over the place it probably <laughs> it's a 90s you know, thing went to okay. the corners yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can go i'm going to recommend the legend of mana remastered it's out on the switch ps4 and pc though seems like um maybe don't get the pc version because there's some stuttering even though the pc version can be played up to 4k and the backgrounds look amazing it's very cool it's a fun game it's very ps1 <laughs> like they retained a lot of very ps1 stuff in it that's just part of it that's great uh they completely like redid all the backgrounds and they in like 4k they look amazing and uh but all the characters are still like uh pixel based and they did like the good version where it's like a proper up you know it's all pixel perfect um and it somehow works you know with like really high resolution like painted backgrounds with pixel characters like it looks really good like i was playing it on the switch very very good play it it's a fun game Cool. Um, so for me, uh, we've probably mentioned the uh, PBS Space Time YouTube series at least once, or at least Roushi, you know, Roushi loves it. I'm going to recommend a particular uh, video from that series called Navigating with Quantum Entanglement. Um, it's a little relevant to what we were talking about with like how quantum stuff, how, how consciousness affects quantum stuff, which I think is kind of bullshit, but there is apparently one example in birds where the way birds sense magnetic fields may have something to do how it operates on the quantum level rather than on a molecular level um the fuck? this is this is still a hypothesis it's not it's not even a theory yet but a uh, really interesting video about that from the pbs space time series so i'll put the link in the thing and you can check it out quantum birds yep. it's for the birds cool all right well i'm at a minler on twitter where can people find you guys i'm also on twitter i'm at the brendo I'm on Twitter at Heckbringer. I'm on Twitter at Redhesion, also soundcloud.com slash adhesion and adhesion.bandcamp.com. Cool. And uh, music on this episode and all episodes is by Andrew Ford. And editing of this episode was by Andy Mindler. Yay. Yay. Cool, cool, cool. Um, cool, cool. Neat. Is that it? It's it. This is it. This is it. We did it. We made it to the end. Yep. It's the end of evolution. <laughs> this is the end. This, this is, is the, the end of evolution. This is the ultimate uh, contribution of humanity. 
And the end result is Ultima. You must fight them now. <laughs> Ooh. I am looking forward to four episodes from now. <laughs> For Rashi's Ooh. sake. Our final episode. <laughs> it might be. Oh. I just saw that LeVar Burton has started hosting Jeopardy. Yeah, hosting. tonight was his first night. What? Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's not like he for real, is it? Like it's still like a temp thing, or is he like the full time? He's a guest host. Like they're still yeah. going through like uh, guest host yeah. after guest host after guest host. But right. like I'm just familiar with it because there was like you know that need for an online petition and things like that. Because apparently he wasn't originally slated to be one of the like really? fifty million guest hosts that they had. I know there's like a huge online thing that's like make him the final one. He should be absolutely. Probably, but I mean, it's one of those things where have him host the show, see how he does. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping that he'll be amazing because I think it would be a perfect fit for him. But, you know, I, I think there's value in having different guest hosts and, you know, choosing afterward. Yep. I haven't I haven't watched Jeopardy since Alex Trebek left. So, yeah. When, when Lindsay was pregnant with Lincoln, we used to watch Jeopardy like every night. And it's it's weird to now know that Alex Trebek is gone. Yeah. It's like, what even is Jeopardy without him? I don't know. They're still figuring we, that out. Is this still the end of the episode? Yeah, we haven't <laughs> ended it yet. We've got a real bummer right there. So how about that? <laughs> well, let's see how he does. We'll talk about it again in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye. This Bye. episode <laughs> is dedicated to the memory of Alex Trebek. <laughs> and science. <laughs>